Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Overwhelming words. Even that we can turn our eyes to Jesus. Such a miracle that God has wrought in our hearts, friends. What a great God and Savior. Our Lord is the Lord of salvation, and He has wrought this work in our hearts that we can behold Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is amazing. It's amazing. Now, our desire is to see Him in His Word. To see Him in His Word. I'm going to pray that that would be true. That we would see God in His Word even now. And that in seeing Him, we would live lives that are transformed into His praise and His glory. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, would You show us Jesus? Would You show us Jesus even now, Lord, as we, as we turn in Your Word, as we read such a practical piece of Scripture, Lord God, don't just engage our minds, but do renew them. Don't just stir our hearts, Lord God, but stir them. Give us holy affections. Lord God, transform our lives and make us fit for heaven's glories to come. This is your work. You must do it. We avail ourselves to you. Show us Jesus once again, we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Friends, could you turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians? To the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for the third week this week. Um, it is in the New Testament. You might have to look at your index to find it. That's okay. Uh, the Gospels come first, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the historical book of Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. What comes after 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians, you're right. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and normally what I'd do is, at the beginning of reading, I'd ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, but that might be a, a long stand. And so, in love, shalapanzi umfuetu. So in, in love for the older folk in the room, I'm actually just going to read from verse 1, and I'll tell you to stand when we get to verse 16. That's the section that we're going to be looking at this morning from verse 16 to 24. Hear the word of God. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, 
But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and, your, and you burdened, but that as a matter of faithfulness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. That brings us to the part of Scripture that we will be preaching this morning. And so, could I ask you in the honor of reading God's Word, would you please stand? But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this grace that has been ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our good will. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now all the more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Just so far in the reading of God's word, please be seated. So this morning we continue this short series on giving. Why giving? We have answered over the course of the last three weeks because the Bible contains well over 2,000 verses that relate to money. 
God has plenty to say on the topic of giving. And so from time to time, it is appropriate for your pastor to speak on giving. But it's also necessary for your pastor to talk about giving. Because this is an area where the church often falls into disrepute. I read this past week of a church treasurer who embezzled 13.5 million rand. He distributed the funds to himself through a credit line. He had access to four others' offices' digital signatures. And his crime led to eight years in prison, and he had to pay the money back. Pay back the money. Also read of a 55-year-old female church bookkeeper who defrauded the church of 48,000 rand. Her crime ended also in an eight-year prison sentence. I read of a church usher who would collect the offerings in the gallery of the sanctuary, and then as he walked down, he would take the notes out of the bag and put them in his pocket. Over the course of a few years, he defrauded the church and stole tens of thousands of rands. A story of a bookkeeper who looted thousands of rands by paying and issuing checks to fake companies. It is necessary for your pastor to talk about giving because this is an area that the church often falls into disrepute in and it's an area that the Bible talks practically of. Now the place to start talking about giving if you're visiting us for the first time or the first time in a long time in the Bible is 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Because in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul addresses the topic of giving in very personal terms, in very plain language, in very practical terms. Paul, in these chapters, is talking about the collecting of monies from the Gentile churches for the Jerusalem church. And this is because the Jerusalem church, at this time in history, is dirt poor. Partly because those who were saved on the day of Pentecost were pilgrims to Jerusalem. They didn't live there. They didn't have their livelihoods there. They got saved there and they stayed there, but they had no way of making money there, of sustaining their lives there. They were also poor because persecution had broken out against the church in Jerusalem. And they were also poor because there had been a worldwide famine across the Roman world. And so... As Paul writes to the Corinthian church in, one, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he commends the grace of God that had been given to the Macedonian church. For in severe affliction, their joy and their poverty had overflowed in an abundance, in a wealth of generosity. That was in verse 1 to 5. Paul then went on to 
call the Corinthian church who excelled in everything to excel in this grace, this act of grace also in verse 6 to 8. Then Paul pointed to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich yet for your sakes, our sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty they, we, might become rich. Verse 9. Last week we looked at verse 11 to verse 15. Paul changed gears, shifted gears, and began to speak about the benefits that we derive from giving to God's work. For example, giving fulfills the desire of our hearts in verse 11. Giving can be an acceptable act of worship before God, verse 12. And giving encourages reciprocal interdependence, verse 13 to 15. This week, Paul addresses on practical terms... Ministry checks and balances. What must be in place in a church like ours to ensure transparency and accountability when it comes to church funds? And this is an encouragement to give. This is an encouragement to give and it comes down to three people, to three servants. The first person is Titus. You can read about Titus in verse 16 to 17, but let me give you a summary of what Paul says about this man. He says, this is a man with a changed heart. Titus is a man with a changed heart. Read verse 16 to 17 together with me so that we have it in our heads as we unpack it. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest, earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, He is going to you of his own accord. Thanks be to God, Paul says, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. That's a woe verse. That's a slow down verse. That's a did I read it right verse. Did God just put into Titus, care into his heart. Is God even allowed to do that? Put stuff into people's hearts. This morning, we're kind of dropping truth bombs. (laughs) Are you ready to think? Are you ready to engage? Are you ready to ponder? Ruminate on how The 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith answers the question, does God put stuff into people's hearts? It's from a chapter in the Confession 
that is titled of sanctification. It has three paragraphs. The first paragraph has this sentence in it. They, whoops, they who were united to Christ are also further sanctified really and personally through Christ's death and resurrection by His Word and by the Spirit dwelling in them. The Spirit dwelling in them. What's it saying? Friends, are you saved? You will be sanctified by the Spirit dwelling in you. Amen? Second paragraph. It has this sentence in it. In this life, there arises a continual and irrevocable war. The, the, the flesh lusting against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. What is it saying? Believer... The internal battle for your sanctification is on. Third paragraph. It has a sentence that reads this way. Through the continual supply of strength from the, sanctifi uh, from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. And so the saints grow in peace. What's it saying? God is working within you by His own power. So you will, you will, you will grow. God's people will reflect God's glory. God's people will be conformed to God's Son because God Himself We'll see to it. Amen? Our holiness was sovereignly predestined from eternity past. Our holiness was sovereignly promised in the new covenant. Our holiness was sovereignly purchased by God himself on the cross. Our holiness is so important to God that He Himself will sovereignly work it out. What do I mean that He will work it out for His own praise and glory's sake? Well, think for a moment about the new covenant, the promises of the new covenant. You'd have to cast your mind to the books of Jeremiah and to the books of Ezekiel. God himself says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. God says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit and I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my words. So God, putting earnest care into the heart of Titus is a new covenant promise 
in action. God does not force to do anything that Titus does not want to do. God inclines Titus to care and therefore Titus cares. He accepts and he goes of his own accord. God is active within Titus and therefore Titus is activated. God is motivating Titus and so Titus is motivated. God is the initiator and therefore Titus is initiated. Thanks be to God for what he does in Titus's life and friends for what he does in our lives too. A new heart and actions that flow out of it evidence-saving faith. A new heart and actions that flow out of it evidence-saving faith. And so you would do well this morning to ask the question, am I characterized by actions that flow out of a new heart? As you examine yourself, the answer might be no. Maybe you characterize by actions that are self-initialized, self-activated, self-motivated. Maybe you do things for recognition. Maybe you give things for reward. Your desire, even as you examine your own heart, isn't ultimately to glorify God, but to glorify yourself. Friends, that's rebellion and sinful. This morning I have good news for you. Jesus died for your sins. On a cross he paid the price that God demanded for your sin. He has made reconciliation with God possible when he rose from the grave in victory over sin the work of Christ was declared even on the cross to be enough to cover you. The call on your life, even now, is to confess your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. To lay yourself before Him. Bringing none of your own works, none of your own gifts, none of your own talents, none of your own treasure, none of your own testimony, but cast yourself on Christ alone. He is enough. In fact, He is all. Friend, even today, if you do not have a new heart, cry out to God, He is faithful. He is faithful and patient and long-suffering even for sinners like yourself to save you. Cry out to Him and it will be so. Because God is the initiator. Because God is the motivator. Because God inclines us. We can do precisely this. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To the point of Titus though, he was a man with a changed heart. Friends, as we consider what a transparent, what a, an accountable ministry might look like, 
As we think of encouragements to give, it comes down to people. And the first person that Paul demonstrates to us this morning is Titus, the man with the changed hearts. We are to appoint servants as stewards in ministry that have changed hearts. Amen? Let me tell you about the second person. The second person is the brother who is famous. The brother who is famous. We read about him from verse 18 to verse 21. From verse 18 to verse 21. And he, if I had to summarize these three verses up, he is the man who ensures transparency and accountability. He is the man who ensures transparency and accountability. Would you read verse 18 to 21 in your own Bibles together with me? With him, Paul says, so that's with Titus, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that has been ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our readiness. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only uh, in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Just so far, this brother who is famous, this brother who ensures transparency and accountability. Who is this famous disciple? We are not told. Uh, We could take a guess, a stab in the dark, but it's actually not important to Paul's point. What is Paul's point here? Well, well, he tells us three things that that are important to transparent and accountable administration of funds within the context of ministries. Number one, Paul the apostle, the head of this ministry, won't be personally handling the finances. He won't be personally handling the money. Number two, Titus, who he's just spoken about, Titus, who will be taking responsibility for this financial task, won't handle the money alone. There will be many eyeballs on the cash. Arrived here this morning is a gift for the ladies as they leave. Well, when I say ladies, I mean mothers. It's Mother's Day, right? So honestly, if you're not a mom, you can't take a gift. And you can't take a gift for your mom that's at home. You need to get that on the store on the way home. Um, But there are gifts for mothers um, at the back as you leave today. One of those gifts is a chocolate. (laughs) There's lots of eyeballs on the chocolate to make sure that they don't walk away before the mothers get to them. Because the point is, uh, you need to have more than one set of eyeballs on the chocolate, and in this case, the cash. Number three, Paul is not a unilateral dictator on this matter. The churches have appointed this famous brother to the work. And when we hear that the churches have appointed this famous brother to the work, we are reminded of Acts chapter 6, where the Jerusalem church chose seven men to serve the daily distribution to the widows. The assembly picked them, and the apostles appointed them. The congregational principle was on play there, and the congregational principle plays out here as well. Why? Why is Paul pointing this stuff out? 
Why must pastors not handle money directly? Why must many eyes be on church finances? Why must there be congregational involvement in appointing stewards and treasurers? Because the glory of the Lord Himself is at stake. Friends, we are to be blameless in these matters. We are to be honorable in these matters. No accusation must stick against us that is made. We need to be above reproach in these things. In no way must a ministry bring shame or disgrace on the body of Christ or the name of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Because the world is watching. And because the world is watching, we're to let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Because the world is watching, we are to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and give glory to, uh, to God on the day of visitation. We are to be blameless, squeaky clean in the matters of finance because the honor and glory of God is at stake and the world is watching everything that we do. You live out your life before the Lord and man. A blameless work is to be is to the glory of God Himself. And so this morning you do well to ask the question of yourself: Do I aim for blamelessness? Friends, as we think of church finances, as we think particularly of transparency and accountability, as we think of encouragements to give, it comes down to people. And as we think of the people that we should appoint to the oversight and to the stewardship of finances within a ministry, we think of these two people to begin with. Appoint servants who have changed hearts. And secondly, appoint servants who will ensure transparency and accountability. There's a third person that Paul speaks about. He speaks of him as our brother. And we find out about him in verse 22. And if I had to summarize verse 22 for you, it would be like this. He is the man who has been tested and found to be earnest. He's the man who is tested and found earnest. Read verse 22 with me in your own Bibles. And we are sending with them, that's Titus and this famous brother, we are sending with them um, our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. You'll note the plural we there. We are sending our brother. Again, the church is doing the sending. The brother has been often tested to test a person is to examine a person, to test a person is to check a person, to test a person is to scrutinize a person with Titus. And the brother who is famous, the churches are sending this brother who is tried and tested, tried and tested on many matters. I was a 
computer programmer. I think I mentioned that last week um, in a previous career. I did a fair amount of work with government, um, which I spoke about last week. But, but this week, I, I also did a fair amount of work with uh, banks in South Africa. Banks are very careful about new applications which they allow into their space. A buggy application could literally cost them millions. And so before any new application goes live, it must be rigorously tested. Testers make sure the application does what it was designed to do, and testers make sure that the application doesn't do what it wasn't designed to do. Testers examine, testers check, testers scrutinize. And at the end of the day, they certify that the application has passed or has failed the test. Likewise, friends, we are to test those who have been appointed as servants to the church. Their lives are to be tested and their doctrine is to be tested. So, for example, a biblical example, deacons who are the recognized servants of the local church are given detailed qualifications by Paul in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 10 reads like this, Let them also, that's the deacons, be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Test them. Test them. There is a very high benchmark for the church's recognized and appointed servants. This brother had been found to be earnest. Eagerness is earnestness. Spiritual passion is earnestness. The Macedonians were earnest. The Corinthians were earnest. Titus was earnest. Paul was earnest. And this brother is earnest too. The pattern actually leaps out of, one, uh, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me, let me show it to you just briefly. Look, look in your Bibles at verse 4. The Macedonians first. The Macedonians begged us how? They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now think about the Corinthians. They were earnest. Look at verse 7. The Corinthians excelled in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness. Think about Titus, verse 16. What did God put into the heart of Titus? He put earnest care. Think about Paul, uh, verse 16 again. It was the same for Paul. The same earnest care that was in Titus, Paul had for the Corinthians. Now in verse 22, this brother was tested and found to be earnest, found to be filled with spiritual passion, with spiritual eagerness. It would seem that eagerness is a universal trait of Christians, Christians that are mentioned in this chapter at least, those who serve in the church, which gives you the great opportunity even this morning to ask the question, am I characterized by earnestness? Am I characterized by spiritual passion? Am I characterized by spiritual eagerness or would I fail that test? 
Well, Paul is presenting to the Corinthians the mechanisms for securing the giving which he's asking them to collect. He wants to make sure that they know that the giving will be transparent and there will be accountability. He, he wants to encourage them to give, and so encouraging them to give, he presents three people, three appointed servants. The first is the one with the changed heart. The second is the one who will ensure transparency and accountability. And the third servant is the one who has been tested and found earnest. How do you go about applying those three things in our lives? What's Paul's application to these three servants? Well, it's found in verse 23 and verse 24. And his application is this, friends give proof. Give proof. Ultimately, if I had to sum the last two verses up, it would be give generously toward kingdom expansion. That's what Paul wants the Corinthian church to do. Give generously towards kingdom expansion, especially as you see the safeguards in place. Let's read verse 23 and verse 24 together. As for Titus... He is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. They glorify God, uh, Christ, uh, the glory of Christ. Sorry, that's the churches. Let me read that again. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Verse 24. So give proof before the churches, of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Paul appointed Titus, verse 16 and 17, the man with the changed heart. Paul sent the brother who was famous, verse 18 to verse 21, the man who would ensure transparency and accountability. Paul sent the brother, verse 22, the man who had been tested and found earnest. Now Paul gives the final summation of these men that he has sent to steward the collection for the Jerusalem church. They are partners with Paul. They are fellow workers with Paul, and they are messengers of the churches. All that remains is for Paul to give his application, and it's this. Give proof. Give. That's what this chapter has been all about. Paul wants the Corinthian church to give. Giving motivated his commendation of the Macedonian churches who had received the grace of God, whose poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity, verse 1 to 5. Giving motivated Paul's call for the Corinthian church, who excelled in everything he tells them to excel in this act of giving also, verse 6 to 8. Giving motivated him to point to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich, verse 9. Giving motivated Paul to talk about the benefits of giving. 
Giving fulfills the heart desires, verse 11. Giving can be an acceptable act of worship before God, verse 12. Giving encourages reciprocal interdependence, verse 13 to verse 15. And now Paul has presented his plan to ensure transparency and accountability in the church. There's only one application from the last three weeks that Paul himself gives, and he gives it here. One application from three sermons over the past three weeks, and that is this, give. As you see the safeguards in place, give to God's glory and the expansion of His kingdom. At Central Baptist Church Pretoria, these safeguards are in place. Our treasurer and money handlers are believers. They love Jesus Christ. They are converts. And they are earnest. Earnest for your good and for God's glory. Our pastors do not handle money. They are not greedy for gain. Our treasurer, who is responsible for our financial affairs, doesn't handle the money alone. There are many eyeballs on the accounts. Our pastors and our elders do not act as unilateral dictators. Our members take part in the appointment of our church's leaders. The church appoints the treasurer. The church accepts the annual budget. The church receives audited financials in a timeless way. The church tests our stewards and deacons with care. Central Baptist Church intentionally fulfills the audit and the legal requirements in order to demonstrate transparency and accountability, which gives you the great opportunity this morning to ask the question, Am I partnering faithfully with the ministry at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria? Let's close our eyes and pray to God. Very practical words, Lord. Very practical words. Help us to fulfill them. Help us, Lord God, um, to take great care in terms of how monies are spent in our local church. Help us, Lord God, to be attentive uh, to financials as they are presented to the members of the church. Lord God, give us a desire to understand and to know and even to speak into the ways that monies are budgeted in our church community. Lord God, help us to hold to account those who have been tasked with handling the financial affairs of our church. Lord, give us great care as we think about stewards and deacons and treasurers in the future. Might we test them, Lord God, their lives and their doctrines carefully. And then, Father God, as we recognize all of these safeguards are in place, as we celebrate transparency and accountability in the local church where we are at, would you stir our hearts to be like the Macedonians? Would you stir our hearts to be like the Corinthians? Father God, would we look to the example of Jesus Christ? Would we hear of the benefits of giving? And Lord God, would you make us givers? Cheerful, sacrificial, worshipful givers which give proportionately to what we have received from you for your own glory's sake. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.